Good morning. It is great to be with you here this morning and especially to give Scott and Rachel a handout. And, uh, you know, sometimes you read people's posts on Facebook about how people are recovering from things and stuff like that. Sometimes it's medical jargon. You know, it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm praying for you. But I love Rachel's post where she just said yesterday, I got to take a shower. <laughs> That's totally the post I like to hear. That means I know someone's feeling a little better. So, so we're joining you guys in prayer for them as they uh, recover and uh, do all of the awesome things that they need to do to get this baby growing and healthy and to get Rachel healthy and to get their family back together um, as they go through this. So yeah, we'll keep praying for them. We're excited for them. Well, this is kind of an interesting um, experience this morning because um, as Scott and I were talking about what uh, I would share this morning, he mentioned he was going through Matthew and he gave me the text. And it's the text of uh, Jesus and the children uh, who were rebuked, the disciples rebuked their parents for bringing them for a blessing from Jesus. And just to let you know what I do, I am the National Director of Children's Ministry Resources for a ministry called In Faith, which used to be known as the American Sunday School Union and the American Missionary Fellowship. And I have been working with children and youth uh, full time for 35 years. So when Scott asked what I wanted to do and I saw that passage, I thought, well, that seems appropriate for me that maybe I should have something intelligent, hopefully, to share with you concerning the idea of children and not only Jesus' ministry to them, but how they are so important to the him that um, he reflects our own salvation and our own experience in the gospel as a process of understanding it through the eyes of children. I was thinking about uh, the fact that kids are, are, are such a different world from us. And one thing I try to let the people that I work with, I, I do work a lot with kids, but now mostly in my later years of life, I work mostly with people who work with kids. And I do a lot of training and encouraging and providing them the stuff they need. I spend a lot of time at summer camps and um, going to events and activities and seeing what our missionaries do. And my job is to encourage, equip, or educate them however they need to be successful in their ministry with children. So it's really an awesome job. It's really a lot of fun. It's a lot of work and a lot of travel, but it has made me realize that the first thing we need to understand is that when we're dealing with children, it's a cross-cultural experience, right? And uh, they don't think like you and I as an adult do. Um, they don't act like you and I as an adult do well. Sometimes I might act a little bit more like a kid and maybe that's why I do my job. But I was looking at some things in my files and I came across this uh, this great list of little letters and notes that kids had sent to pastors and uh, kind of gave me a really good feeling about leading into this, this uh, passage. And uh, it, they're just a bunch of, Dear Pastor, and a child would write a little note. Here's the first one. He said, Dear Pastor, please say in your sermon that Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson. Pete, age nine. Here's another one. Are there any devils on earth? I think there may be one in my class. From Carla, age 10. Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. Yours truly, Arnold. 
Dear Pastor, I'm sorry I can't leave money in the plate, but my father didn't give me a raise in my allowance. Could you have a sermon about a raise in allowances? Thank you, love, Patty. Uh, Dear Pastor, my mother is very religious. She goes to play bingo at church every week, even if she has a cold. Yours truly, Annette, age nine. Dear Pastor, I'd like to go to heaven someday because I know my brother won't be there, Stephen, age eight. (laughs) I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland, from Laureen, age nine. Please say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. Thank you, Alexander. Dear Pastor, my father says I should learn the Ten Commandments, but I don't think I want to because we have enough rules already in my house. I think I've heard that one from some of my kids. Dear Pastor, how does God know the good people from the bad people? Do you tell him or does he read about it in the newspaper? Sincerely, Marie, age nine. Dear Pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. Ralph, age 11. Dear Pastor, I hope to go to heaven someday, but later than sooner. Love, Ellen, age nine. And finally, dear Pastor, my father should be a minister. Every day he gives us a sermon about something. Robert, age 11. Anyone that's been around or had a child knows that they have their own perspective on life. And we have to understand that perspective to really understand them. And you know what? The disciples didn't understand that perspective. And in our passage today, we're going to see that um, as we see one of the several experiences that uh, Jesus had with his disciples and with children. And this one, of course, is in uh, continuing in Matthew chapter 19. And to this point, and I know that uh, you've heard your pastor share with you about this, there's been a lot of discussions Um, with a group of people called the Pharisees, and they seem to be just tagging around wherever Jesus is. They they don't want to leave him alone, and they're continually trying to trap him. And we see him talking about divorce right before this. This is the talk about divorce is kind of the context for this experience he has with kids. And um, it's interesting that that is what's going on because when it comes to divorce or separation, there's no group that's more affected than children if they're involved, right? And uh, no group that sometimes suffers more than um, children in a divorce. And Jesus is going to set up a situation here where he lets his disciples and us as his disciples know how precious kids are to him and how important they are to him and that uh, we need to know them and understand them. So in verse 13, it's just a short little passage, but there's a ton of stuff in it. We're going to read it and then we're going to unpack it and put it back together and just ask ourselves, um, how then do we need to live in light of what Jesus thinks about kids? Verse 13 says, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. A couple things are really significant about this patch, uh, passage. And one of them is that it appears in all three of the what we call the synoptic gospels. So that's every gospel. But John, John has an entirely different approach to uh, his presentation of Christ based on what he wants to do with that as he wrote it. But in every chapter, Matthew, Mark and Luke, uh, we have this story. 
And I was kind of, when I see that repeated over and over again, to me that means that uh, there's some emphasis here, right? That it's coming up several times because we need to hear it several times. And so I'm going to read it to you in the other two passages too. And you'll hear just a few differences and we're going to highlight a few of those as well. So when we go to Mark 10, 13 through 16, it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So we have a little more emphasis there and a little more, um, a little more passionate with words like uh, um, hinder, don't hinder, and Jesus was indignant. That's kind of typical of Mark's writings is that he was, he was very much into the feelings and emotions of what was going on. And quite often um, you could kind of hear him writing in the background, Jesus is indignant. Yes, very serious word. Here's the third one in Luke chapter 18, 15 through 17. And this one is even just a little bit longer. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And Luke's kind of our detailed person, isn't he? We get most of our story that we talked about the last couple of weeks of Jesus' birth from him because he has all those details. He brings in the shepherds and the angels and, and um, he really fills out a story. To me, he's the best storyteller of these uh, three guys. Now, why is the Matthew one so much shorter? Um, is it because he had bad hearing? <laughs> he had a bad memory. Maybe he was like me, kind of not a great memory. Anyone having not the best memory you used to have? I'm experiencing that a little bit. Yeah. Oh, Caleb, don't raise your hand. Come on. No. <laughs> but um, it's pretty much because Matthew's a kind of to-the-point guy. And that's his perspective. And um, his writings were kind of focused towards the Roman world a little more. And it was a little more cut-and-dry issue which is also pretty significant in terms of what Jesus said. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to break this passage apart for you a little bit and share some specific things that I hope you'll find new and maybe insightful. Um, and then I want to kind of bring it back together as a whole and just focus on it. So the first part of this is that children were brought to Jesus. There's a pretty good lesson right there, isn't it? Do we need to bring our children to Jesus? Yes, we do. <laughs> and they were brought for a blessing. And uh, that wasn't that uncommon. I mean, we don't do that a lot. We don't really uh, necessarily bring our kids to spiritual leaders a lot um, for a blessing. Now, we will have a baby dedication sometime, won't we? It's a little bit different. As a matter of fact, this passage also led some groups and denominations to um, start focusing on child baptism. And it's, it's given some credit in the theology of some of those churches that do that. But the idea of bringing children to Jesus for a blessing. Do you remember in the Old Testament how um, Jacob, or uh, yeah, Jacob sat down with Joseph, or not Joseph, but <laughs> I'm really messed this up. <laughs> I'm going to get the right one here. How Isaac gave a blessing to his sons, Jacob and Esau. And G Jacob stole that blessing. 
You remember that? And Esau is just like, ah, I'm going to kill that guy. And he had to leave. Jacob had to go away and live with his uncle for a while. Um, well, in this situation, the interesting thing was that, remember, Jacob couldn't reverse that blessing, could he? And he couldn't just say, oh, never mind, I meant Esau, right? He couldn't just say, oh, no, that was a mistake, man. I, I, you know, I didn't mean to give that to him. He tricked me because I couldn't see very well. Um, that's how spiritually potent those blessings were. And um, when those people were bringing their kids to Jesus, that's what they wanted. So they wanted a powerful blessing over the lives of their children. So to them, the people who brought them was really important. So significant that he would do that, that, that they could bring their kids to Jesus. And um, I'm envious of that. <laughs> I brought my kids to Jesus in the best way I know how. But to be able to lay them in his arms, wow, that would be intense. That would be. And then we have the disciples. And um, I'm going to mention one thing in here. Did you notice how in that passage of Luke, he referred to them as infants? And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Um, the, verse, the verse there, um, he actually referred to them as, as toddlers or children. The Greek word there um, is the word brephe, and it, and it means a, a young, young child. Just kind of interesting. The other ones, they just kind of use the generic word for children. But in this passage, we get to see um, that there were some really tiny, tiny little kids. And possibly, even like the children that go through a baby dedication, probably never remember this, right? How many things happen to our kids and they're tiny? They never remember, but they're very significant to us. And we hope that in their hearts and lives, eventually they'll be significant too. So then we have the disciples. And the disciples are the poster children for slow learners in the Bible, aren't they? <laughs> but they started out as kind of a rough group, right? We've got zealots and tax collectors and fishermen, and, and, uh, which just proves they're like us. We're hard to teach, aren't we? That's why children are so important. They're a little easier to teach. <laughs> so they rebuke the parents. They're talking to these parents who love their children, who are excited to bring them to Jesus and here these burly guys come up and say oh don't do that go away get those children away from Jesus it doesn't say why they said that um, a couple of options I suppose one is they just felt that Jesus words were just too important for children and that would fit in the cultural bias concerning not only children but women as well that there had been a, a ladder of success and a popularity there that went on for many years. And um, they may have just been buying into that cultural standard that had been created, not a biblical standard by any means. And Jesus is about to correct that. But they said, no, don't bring him to Jesus. He, he's too important for children. Or another side issue is that they were getting ready to take a journey, a, a journey that would be one of Jesus's last journeys. They were getting ready to head to Jerusalem. And there's a possibility, and I'll give them a little credit, that maybe they were just trying to get this session over so they could get on the road. Them not having any idea that that trip would end with the death of their Savior. So either way, the disciples had a real negative reaction, and they were just you know, threatening these people and saying, take them away, take them away. Um, but then the reverse happens, doesn't it? So these 
people, disciples were rebuking those people, and then Jesus turns around and rebukes them. I, I'm going to read you just a little passage here that that's right before the Mark passage. And it kind of gives us a, even a little better understanding of what was going on. Um, and it's in Mark chapter 9, just a, a couple of verses, verse 35 and uh, 36. They had just had this experience a few days before this one. And here's what it said. All right. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus has already said to them, hey, look at this child. You need to be like this child. Children are important to me. And then what happens just a couple days later, they're running the kids off. They're actually running the parents off who are bringing the kids. Um, and then you notice, too, in those two sections we read that one of them, do you remember the word that Jesus said? It said Jesus was what? In one of the, it's a big word, starts with an I. Did you catch that? Indignant, right. Um, sometimes our translations of the Greek here are good, and sometimes they aren't really good. And in the King James Version, which I really love the King James Version, and I use it when I study, part of that. And, but in there, it said, um, he was much displeased. It's a terrible translation of that word. Um, this word is all about anger. The word that was translated indignant. Jesus was angry. It's not the same word they used when he cleared the temple and he was angry. But he was upset and angry that this happened. Um, so his rebuke wasn't just a, hey, quit doing that, you bozos. It was, ah, I'm so angry with you. This makes me so mad. Mark loves to emphasize emotions, remember. Um, he tells the disciples of the children's place in the kingdom. And then he says a very interesting phrase. And that phrase is the one where it says, I tell you the truth. And I was trying to think, what's the best way for us to understand exactly what that means when Jesus uses the phrase? And if you remember from the, from the King James Version, you'll hear the words, verily, verily, I say unto you. Remember that, that line he would use? Well, this is, uh, I think the best way, in a sense, to understand the emphasis of this when he says, I tell you the truth, is to say, um, if you don't hear anything else I say, <laughs> have you ever said that to anybody, your kids or work or coworkers or employees, or if you don't hear anything else I say, make sure you don't smoke next to that propane tank. I mean, this is a serious thing. This is a, to tell you the truth. This is the thing that he says to them. And it doesn't quite show up as, as much in the, in the first one in, in our passage in Matthew that's not included. But in the other one, in Mark, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's pretty severe. You know, if you really want to understand the gospel, I think you're getting it right here. Which makes us ask ourselves sometimes... Um, what does he mean by that? And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But we need to understand the two things that in faith and trust, children run pretty much their whole childhood. 
That's why we as people set very special laws about children so that they won't be manipulated. Their trust and their faith won't be taken advantage of. And if you think of some of the laws we have concerning kids, it's because we know um, without knowing this passage that they're very special and they're very trusting and faithful and we, they have to be protected because of that. Um, so receiving the kingdom of God like a child is a very intense statement of having a simple faith and trust in Jesus. We're going to expand that in just a second. So then the last part of this is um, then Jesus blesses the children. So he did it, right? And um, one of the passages, this is so encouraging to me. One of the passages that we read says that he didn't leave the area till he was done. So that means if there were 10 children, 10 children got blessed by the Son of God. If there were 50 children, which there very well could have been, Jesus drew people like crazy, then 50 children got blessed by the Son of God. He didn't stop. He didn't leave the area till he touched and held each one of them. And this is a special part of Scripture, too, because it's not often that we read a verse in the Bible that a word is only used one time. Only one time in all the New Testament, and it's in the passage, this passage, the Mark passage, he uses this special word for the blessing. Um, I'm not a great pronouncer of words in other languages, but let me give you a a, a part here. Um, and I don't worry about that because I had Greek in Bible school and I had Greek in seminary and none of them pronounced it the same way. So I don't worry about it. Here's what the word is. Ketuloge. Okay. Ketuloge, or it could be loge. Um, it's a really compound verb, which means there's a lots of stuff in it, right? It means a lot of stuff at the same time, but the best, um, Here's what I think is the best translation of that word that's only used here and nowhere else. Uh, it means warm-hearted fervor. Okay, I've been to a lot of baby dedications. Not many of them I would characterize with warm-hearted fervor. <laughs> have you? I, maybe you have. Maybe you've got, seen a real interesting baby dedication. And you'll have to, you know, you have to be on Scott when they bring that little baby back to dedicate it, right? You know, let's see some warm-hearted fervor there. Yeah. But it just means that Jesus had an intensity and love for kids that is unmatched. And I shouldn't even use the word had. Jesus has an intensity for kids that is unmatched. Um, so much that there was only one good word to use to describe it, and it was only used here. Only found in Mark in this verse, nowhere else in the New Testament. So what is this situation? Um, I think it's very powerful here that we do see that Jesus has a very strong heart for kids. Is, does that seem to be coming from this text for you? He seriously loves children. It should encourage us because nine times out of ten, Jesus refers to us and his father refers to us as his children. It's good to be a child of God because he loves us and he blesses us with warm-hearted fervor. You have that. That is your gift from God. It's amazing. It's too bad it was a little harder for the disciples to understand that. And that's why Jesus took it that step further, which is the second part I want to talk about. And that is 
What does that mean to us? What does it mean to us uh, when Jesus said, listen, I'm going to tell you this. This is the truth. I tell you the truth. Um, that unless you come to the kingdom of God like a child, you won't enter it. That seems like a really important thing, doesn't it? It's just the last phrase of this passage in the other versions, but it's so important. And as a matter of fact, I kind of ran across, I have a friend who is, uh, who has a website on the internet called kidology.org. His name is Carl Bastian. He's a friend of mine, and it's the largest internet website for children's ministry online. It's just an amazing resource for stuff. And Carl sent me this, uh, this uh, record of a man who did a sermon uh, a few years ago. It was 1896. Okay, so the sermon's 125 years old, um, several years after or before I was born, you know. Um, and it's in a commentary, and he found this. The guy's name is Reverend J. Vaughn, probably not the most really well-known of commentators, but he gave this three-point illustration about just why it's so important to be like a kid when it comes to the gospel. And so, you know what, like any good pastor, I'm just going to plagiarize and use his message. Okay. <laughs> no sense in recreating something that's already awesome, right? So here's the first thing. There's three things that he mentions. Um, he said they received what he gave as a free gift of his. They could have no sense whatever that they deserved it. Especially if they were infants, huh? the smaller children. But freely as he bestowed the grace, so freely the little children took it. This is just the way to get to heaven. I think about that free gift, and what does it make you think of? It makes you think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? Um, For by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast, and I'll add my paraphrase, that we did it on our own right? Kids understand that. I have rarely run into a kid who wouldn't take a gift from somebody. Uh, we just had Christmas. I had six grandkids there all under the age of 12. There was a pile of presents there and it was madness. We tried to control it as best we could, but they took every gift. None of them thought, well, gee, I sure hope this isn't a rattlesnake. Or I hope this doesn't explode when I open it. Now they have an uncle they wonder about sometimes. But for the most part, they were excited and thrilled to open and receive the gift. Well, that's how God wants us to be about our salvation. We're excited and thrilled, and there are no holds barred in taking that gift from Jesus. We're not saying, uh, no, thank you. I already have one of those. <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> They're not saying, um, you know, that's a really nice looking gift. How about if I open that next Christmas? It's not how you get to heaven, folks. You get to heaven by receiving the gift when it's offered and you take it. Some people put that off for a long time. Some people put it off because they say, well, I'm kind of young and I, I don't want to be inhibited by this relationship with God. There's some things I want to do that, that maybe God's not going to approve of. That's the exact opposite way we should react to the gift of God. 
And one of the reasons I love working with kids is because when I see a kid, I just see a whole lifetime of what they can do in the service of their savior. I get excited about that. Now that doesn't mean when I look out and I see thinning hair and gray hair that I'm thinking, well, they're well, that's, we're not gonna be able to do much with them. No, because some of the best volunteers I've ever had in my children's ministry are in their 80s and 90s. It's a lifetime commitment, isn't it? To receive that gift of salvation and to receive everything he brings to us every day in the same joy and anticipation. But freely as he bestowed the grace, so freely the little children took it. I love that. Here's the second one. A very little child never doubts where it has learned to love. It believes everything and questions nothing. The credulity of the child is the faith of the Christian. This is why we got to be really careful with kids, don't we? And I remember when I was in high school, um, talking with a friend and he said, when my kids are born, I'm going to teach them that everything is the opposite of what it is. So when I see a dog, I'm going to tell them, tell them it's a cat. And now he was, I hope, just joking. I believe his children, his children are grown now and they're, they're fine. <laughs> the kids believe. That's the only way Santa works, folks, okay? <laughs> it's that it's pretended to a group of people who believe just about anything they're told. They're open and they're soft and they're young. And they're going to believe anything that inspires love. Anything that inspires love is going to touch them. That's what we have to have. Our credulity. And I looked at this word. He, he defined the word credulity as a tendency to believe too readily, especially with little or no proof. Well, do you remember the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. And while we do have that credulity, it's not that we're accepting something that has no proof or support. We're fortunate because we have the word of God. And we can confirm our faith. We can rejoice of our faith. We can, we can remember the things that Christ has done every time we go to that book. Every time we remember God's words, it's fresh and new for us. The Bible tells me so. Faith in source, not merely substance. But our faith is based on that. And hearing comes from the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God according to the word of God. This is the third one. A very little child is necess necessarily led. It knows it cannot go alone. That's so true. And kids need led. Um, one time Cindy and I were uh, with our family and we were watching uh, the Blue Angels. Have you ever seen the Blue Angels? The flight formation from the, Na the Air Force. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry. And they were coming down the Columbia Gorge, and we were in the Dalles. And on the bluff up there where Cirrhosis Park is, there's an overlook. And so we were getting ready to cross the street to the overlook. And my niece, um, I mean, there were a ton of people there coming up to park and watch, so there were lots of cars. My niece just walked right out into the road. And my father-in-law... <laughs> ran out there and paddled her little bottom all the way back to the, where she was supposed to be. Kids will just go, won't they? 
won't they? And you know, uh, there's a lot of discussion sometimes about uh, the corporal punishment, you know, the spanking of a child and stuff like that. I just remember something that uh, my dad told my mom when I was little, and I got a spanking for something I shouldn't be doing, and she was, oh, he's so little, why are you? And he said, well, you know what? The next time Brett's walking towards a cliff and I say stop, I expect him to stop. <laughs> That was part of his training for me, that, that I would obey his voice. And children need to be led. They do, because of their naivety and their young age and, and their open hearts and minds. They have to have help. They have to have help. I'm sure Caleb can give us lots of stories of kids who would just choose to do whatever they want, but they need his guidance at school. And my wife, who is the librarian at the school in Newport, the same thing. Children, they have to be led. That's why we have school, and that's why we have parents, and, and aunts and uncles, and moms, and dads, and grandmas, and grandpas. They do. He says, and we must be content, all of us, to be born and carried every step. I remember when I was a little boy, and we'd get home late at night. I'd pretend I was asleep so my dad would carry me into the house. Anyone ever do that? Maybe a few people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> might as well get a free ride out of this thing. <laughs> he makes a really strong statement here that I've saved here at the end, and I love this statement, and I want you to just kind of ponder it. Maybe I should say, I tell you the truth, listen to this. Those who get to heaven do not march in. They do not walk there. They're carried there. And just like a little child needs his father and mother to lead and guide him, we need our Heavenly Father. And we go to heaven because we're carried there by our faith in Christ. And uh, those three things, I think, give us a really good idea of what it means to have the faith of a child. That's the faith God's looking for. And that's the faith that can be nurtured in a kid's heart so that they become adults who want to nurture their children or the children around them in the same way. Um, I've spent a lot of time working with kids and teenagers. Many of them haven't had the nurture um, in salvation in the Word of God, and they struggle. And it's very hard sometimes when we're at a camp situation or we're at an evangelism program and we're sharing the gospel, and they meet the gospel for the first time, it's hard. And I can tell you that as a, as a person who is an evangelist sometimes at these camps and things, when I share salvation, I can see things happen in people's faces when they hear the Word of God. We talk about when it clicks, Remember that? What you're learning something? Oh, it clicked. Now I can do it. There's a big click a lot of times for these children who've led their whole life without ever hearing about Jesus. And when they hear there is someone who truly loves them, someone who loves their heart and who they are and loves them because they're made in the image of his father, there's a huge click and eyes open and smiles happen and, and little feet sometimes pad up to the front and we sit and we pray and they come to know Christ. And it's a marvelous experience. So I guess with a message, it has kind of two different aspects. There's two types of conclusions then, right? And they're kind of simple. I'm going to give them to you and then I'm going to give you a little extra side word from me. The first one is, if you've not admitted your need for Christ and have come to him 
haven't come to him, haven't trusted him, today's the day to do that. Today's the day in simple faith as a child, based on God's word, to come to him and to say, I need, I need him. I need his salvation. I need his love. And more importantly, I need his guidance. If we're going to live through the world that we're in right now, we need his guidance more than ever. I would like to say that, you know, uh, since I asked Christ to be my savior as a little guy, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home that uh, at this point, boy, I hardly ever need Jesus guidance now. But that's not true. I need it more than ever the older I get. The, as much as I know and as much as I've experienced, I, I need Christ's guidance every day. And I want to tell you that if you don't have Christ as your Savior, that uh, today would be a marvelous day for you to turn your heart over to Him. I'd love to talk with you after the service, uh, maybe share with you what Christ has done in my heart. And I bet there's a lot of other people out here who would love to do that as well. The second one is... For those of you who know Jesus as your Savior, and some of you maybe for a long time, some of you for a short time, can I just ask you this question? Are you still following the Lord with the trust and dependence of a child? It's hard. The older we get, the more we know. We think we got it. We can do everything. We handle everything. We can take care of everything. But then things happen in our life. And uh, like your pastor and his wife who had a pregnancy that turned out a lot different than they imagined, they have to put deep faith and trust in Christ to lead them through this whole process to see what God is going to do to bring glory to himself through a very, what seems like a very difficult thing. But you know what? We really see God's glory when that happens, don't we? We get to see all of the wonderful and fantastic things that God can do in our lives and hearts. God puts us in a different mission field. Scott and Rachel get to spend a lot of time with a lot of nurses and doctors for the next couple weeks. And they'll be able to show their faith through their actions with them. Um, God does that a lot. He puts us in different workplaces, doesn't he? Where we might work or different recreational places. And uh, we shine that light. We shine that childlike faith of Christ there. I'm going to just take one minute to share one thing with you before I go. I can't help but do it because of what I do. Um, I want to share a list of you, with you that I've been putting together for about, actually for about 40 years. I, I grew up in a family who were in ministry, so I actually started working with kids when I was a kid. Um, didn't start really doing it as a profession in my vocation until about 1984. Um, and I put this list together that I just simply call my take on Jesus and children. I'm just going to read it to you, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to end our service. But I like to encourage every church I go to, and you know, um, I don't know what your future will be in terms of what kids may ever may or may not be involved in your church, but that doesn't matter because we see kids everywhere we go, and eventually we're going to run into them, whether they're our family or friends or kids next door. We all owe it to children to love and to pursue them like Jesus did. So here's my list, my take on Jesus and kids. I have uh, Bible support for all of these. I'm not going to read all those to you, <laughs> but um, here's the list. The first one is Jesus respected children. 
That's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Because we talk about how respect is earned a lot of times, and that's true, especially in um, in business and employment and on the job and people watching what you do. Yeah, often respect is earned. But Jesus gave respect to children because of his wonderful love for them. Um, the second one is he took time to pay attention to boys and girls and use their behavior to illustrate his teachings. Think of all the places. I just wrote down a few places. Uh, Matthew 7, 9, Luke 7, 32, Luke 11, 7. They're things like, um, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. Jesus would take aspects of kids' life all the time and put them in front of his disciples to teach them. And we mentioned one already, too, when he brought that little boy, set him amidst them, and he said, anyone who hinders this child is in big trouble. And you know the other parallel passage that talks about a millstone. Be better for them if a millstone was hung around their neck than for them to hinder a child to come to the kingdom of God. Third one is the Lord identified himself with children. Listen to this. This is another one. This is earlier, and you've already talked about this passage. Matthew 18, 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And you know what? I, I'm pretty sure that goes all the way from children through adulthood, too. Whenever we receive someone in Jesus' name, we're, we're receiving him. Here's the next one. Um, Jesus spent time with children. If you've ever been to any parenting classes, any encouragement in parenting, you've heard the phrase, how do children spell Love, T-I-M-E, right? Which is tough because isn't that our greatest thing? Many times time is more important to us than money or talent or anything else. And uh, Jesus took time to be with them. He took time to tell adults, hey, could you just kind of stay away from me while I hang out with the children? <laughs> I love that. Now, that's not a biblical phrase specifically, but he did rebuke them when they got, he got in their way. He, they got in his way. Here's the next one. He blessed them. We've talked about that today. And he didn't just bless them. He had that marvelous, wonderful blessing for them. He fed them. Remember uh, the passages of the different feedings of, that Jesus fed people in the Bible? Always mentioned there were children there. He healed them. The first healing, one of the first healings in the Bible came after the wedding of, in Cain of Galilee um, of a man's son. Just an amazing story. He let them help him. I love this one. Because the other thing I think I've learned um, that's been really important to me in children's ministry is to involve children in ministry. Not only to themselves, to each other, but also to adults. We've always tried to take kids to visit people and do things for people and to learn to be a servant. Um, I put this in here because it talks about the little boy who brought the loaves and fishes to the feeding of the 5,000. That's a wonderful story to talk about. <laughs> what do you think his mom thought when she made the lunch? Well, here's a lunch. You might need it <laughs> if you're there too long. Oh, he was going to be there long. But you know what? When the disciples came to Jesus and said, all, all I think we have is a little boy here who's got five loaves and some fish. Well, do you think those disciples walked through 5,000 people to see what food was there? I don't. I don't think they walked around. Uh, you know, that, Think about that many people. No, I think this little boy brought that lunch up to them and said, I'd like to share this if someone's hungry. Now, I'm, you know, that's me interjecting my own thoughts into the passage, but 
That's the only way I see that working. You know, it's not like, uh, or they're yelling, who has any food? <laughs> you know? This little boy brought it up and Jesus used his food. And that must have been an, an immensely impacting thing on that little boy's life. I want, a, I want a chapter on what that little boy grew up to do. That's what I want. He let them help. He gladly received the praises of children, affirming it as worthy in God's sight. You know, if you don't let the kids cry out, those rocks are going to do it. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Jesus commended the simple faith of children and called on adults to copy it. Our lesson for today. The Lord was concerned about their spiritual welfare and came to provide for their salvation. And the passages here, just all the ones that say, go to every creature, preach the gospel to every creature. And kids are creatures, aren't they? Yeah, you know they are if you've had them. <laughs> Here's a final one. He wants us, you and me, to share his good news with them. And I hope you get the opportunity to do that. Uh, you know, my biggest hope as someone who loves kids and works with kids and youth is that someday you'd show up here and there'd be like 100 kids in the pews and you'd have to deal with it. <laughs> I'm going to pray that for you. you know. <laughs> but whether we meet them in our church, whether we meet them on the street, in our schools, where we work with our friends who have kids, or there are grandchildren, or our nieces and nephews, God wants them to know Christ. And he wants us to be a part of that. Let's close for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your example. I don't know uh, what we'd do without it. It's such a reminder to us that we need the heart and the faith of a child to come to you. That if we expect to enter the kingdom of God, we need to do it like a child. We need to give you our complete trust and our complete control over what happens in our life. Father, I just pray if there's anyone who's hearing this message today that's never considered giving their heart to you, that they would search you out, Father. They'd find someone they know and love and trust who knows you and just ask what it means to know you as their Savior. And Lord, I, I would pray for all of us here that know you, that we would continue in childlike faith to serve you and follow you. And that we would put our heart's dependence and our trust in you every day as we seek to, uh, to follow you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for a new year, a new year to commit ourselves to following you. And we just pray that you lead and guide us as we leave this place today. Amen. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Have a great week.